good afternoon. Uh, my name is Chris Henry. Um, I, <laughs> uh, I serve on the worship team, playing the keys. I also serve as a CG coach, and I'm a covenant member here. And as you just saw, I'm also an elder candidate. Um, <laughs> uh, I'll be uh, reading today from 1 Peter in the fifth chapter, uh, verses 1 to 14. If you would turn with me there. And it reads, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being an example to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it, and she who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Thanks be to God. All right, saints, temples, priests, how are we? Good, good. Hey, last week in Peter, y'all ready? Cool, let's chop it up. Uh, Hey, as we conclude this letter, uh, Peter gives an ironic summary that I honestly was having a hard time thinking about how to tackle at first, and then I realized the gift that this was for that church and the gift that it will be for our church as well, I believe. Peter, he's writing really particularly to the churches that he mentioned in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and he wants them to respond to and apply this letter in a very specific way that would help their churches and their context flourish. And so Peter, he's getting really pastoral here. He's understanding where the church is and and, uh, what the attitude and the posture is of how they need to maintain in the faith and how individuals were to respond within these churches. And if you notice in verse 1, you see the word so there. That word so is uh, the Greek word that we would normally translate therefore. So if you remember the structure from last week, it kind of leads us into this week. Peter is saying, hey, therefore, in light of the suffering that you faith, face, in light of the sin that is to be killed, in light of the gifts of the church and the building up of the church, I want you to be a healthy church. 
We can actually see the way that Peter ended his letter, that he's focused and thinking about the health of the local churches. You see him say, she who is at Babylon. Now, if you remember, Rome is who Peter is talking about, showing how he felt about the city at that time, because Babylon is a biblical archetype for any evil and corrupt nation. But the she there is the church of God that is in Rome, which is where Peter is writing from. And so we have the church that is greeting the church there. So Peter's heart and focus is about how the churches are to respond, or we are to greet one another with a holy kiss, especially during seasons of COVID. That's not too soon, is it? All right. Look, there's to be an affection for the church, right? That, that's what Peter is saying here. And the other church is sending another church these greetings. So this whole thing, as Peter finishes, is focused on the health and the direction of the local churches. And so today, I want to finish our time and look at the church in exile That's what the name of this sermon will be today, the church in exile. How do we respond as the people of God to the church of God? And how should the church of God respond to us? Also, how do we respond to Satan? And how does he respond to us? And then how do we respond to God? And how does God respond to us? And so as we wrap this up, what does it look like to be the collective church of God? And Peter, he personally applies this message to the church in that context. And so I even want to give us some personal applications for our church in our context as well. So Peter says, hey, therefore, in light of killing sin... In light of using your gifts, in light of building up the church, in light of suffering well, the leaders of the church are to respond and act in a certain way that would help the church to flourish. So Peter writes to the elders of the church or the leaders of the church in that sense. And what do you know? We have two elder families that we are presenting to y'all today. Uh, I promise that we did not plan that. We ain't smooth like that, all right? I ain't going front. I didn't even realize this until I started prepping, and I was like, oh, I see you, God. All right? Good timing. So Peter says, look, in order for the church to be healthy and for the saints to endure, then they have to have healthy leaders. Now, in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus 1, Paul gives other qualifications. But like with the spiritual gifts, Peter breaks these functions and the characteristics down into more bite-sized pieces, the things that he considers to be most important in that context. And so there are three overarching things that an elder does and three overarching characteristics that Peter focuses on. And so those three things that an elder does, it says an elder should shepherd the flock of God. That's one of them. An elder should exercise oversight, and then an elder should be an example. There should be a slide of that too, by the way. The elders should shepherd the flock of God. They should exercise oversight, and they should function as examples. We did a whole talk on uh, what uh, elders do when we went through 1 Timothy. So I'm not going to dive into it too deeply today. If you want an in-depth dive, I would encourage you to go back to the 1 Timothy series and hear what we think about with elders. But as a high level, what do these mean and why are they important in the flourishing of the church? If you look at verse 11 and 12, Peter is focused on how we are to stand firm in the faith. And so what is necessary for us to stand firm? Why are elders important in the midst of that? And what do they do? 
Well, the first thing we see them do is they shepherd the flock of God. To shepherd is simply to care for, to love, to lead, and to gently guide the church, just like a shepherd would with sheep. Now, we could break this down, but we just did a sermon series on the Lord is our shepherd in Psalm 23, all right? And so we really covered shepherding in depth. But leaders in the church, they should be caring for individuals and pay special attention to the nourishment of individuals' souls. This is actually why we don't call our CG leaders leaders. We call them CG shepherds because they are actually modeling what the elders do in a smaller, more localized context. They're playing a very similar role in that sense. It also says that elders should be exercising oversight. This is leading or making decisions. Now, the Greek word here for exercising oversight actually is translated to look diligently is what that word would be translated as. And so leaders should be looking diligently at where the church is corporately. They should be looking diligently at where individuals are within the church and then make decisions to make sure that they are guiding the church towards spiritual life. Notice that Peter in uh, chapter 5, verse 1, actually calls himself an elder as well. And throughout this book, Peter has been exercising oversight. He knows where the saints of God are and how to get them to a place that is healthy. Now, this does at times means making uh, commands or even authoritative direction, but more often than not, the exercising oversight comes through care. You see, Peter, he understands where the sheep are, what they're going through, and he continually encourages them to think about Jesus and to be sober-minded and to set their eyes on the future and to suffer well so that they may endure in the faith. He's looking diligently and giving direction in light of this. Elders in a local church do the same thing. They look for and think about your soul, maybe even when you're not thinking about it. That's what the job and role and function of an elder is. Thirdly, elders are to be examples as well. They should be setting pace for the church in a lot of ways. We have this saying on our elder board of being an elder is having your private life on public display so that the public would know how to live in private. Let me say that again. Your public life or your private life on public display so that the public knows how to live in private. We are examples in that sense. I want you to see everything as one of your elders in this church that I do, family of God, even my failures. Because in seeing my failures, hopefully within those, I'm sprinting desperately to Jesus and setting an example of humility and repentance, which is a gospel response. And so even in our failures, we are creating examples because none of us are perfect like Jesus. And though we strive for holiness, we fail. But when we fail, we have the blood of Jesus that washes us. And if we run to it, well, then we're setting examples in that sense. And all of us should be playing that for each other anyway, right? The Puerto Rican deacon, Juan Sanchez, all right, he said this in his commentary. That's, that if y'all know who he is, that, ain't, that wasn't funny at all. I heard like no laughs. I mean, y'all know who he is. But he wrote a good commentary and a good book. And he's Puerto Rican. He says this. He said, we should affirm men as elders who are willing, uh, who are willing shepherds, men who are already shepherding without the need for a title, which is why we nominated Chris and Amanda and Brian and Melissa today. 
These are men who are willingly, or who willingly love and care for God's sheep. No one asks them to do it. They just do what all church members should be doing, encouraging one another in loving, caring, discipleship relationships. And so you think about the people that we just presented. Chris Henry, if you have been at the well for a while, you know who he is. Chris leads worship, as he said, and has led a community group for a long time and then transitioned to be a CG shepherd. And Chris has discipled a lot of people. Even Osagi, who was up here doing announcements, was poured into by Chris for a while. And Chris gives faithfully, financially, and he gives faithfully of his time as well. And he does evangelism at Dell and around his neighbors, and he seeks accountability for areas where he may be weakened so that he can grow in the faith. He is setting an example in a lot of ways. Amanda as well, we could say the exact same thing about her. There's discipleship of a lot of women, and she is also, like Chris, seeking to be discipled as well, which creates an example. There's the CG shepherding and the CG coaching and the leadership and the administrative gifts. Look, I tried to hire Amanda multiple times, but Dell got that guap, all right? And so it never worked out, Okay. But look, they're setting examples, right? The Tappersons, we can say the same thing. There's discipleship, and they're leading the premarital couples, and they're leading the whole entire premarital ministry and creating disciples in that sense. And there's teaching, and there's mentoring, and the Tappersons are actually going to go on Juhan's church plant which is really cool because we get to bring them on the board. They'll be on the board for a couple months, and then he'll go to Juhan's church plant as an elder, setting an example once again. And so we could go on and on about each of these couples, but I think you can see intuitively why Peter names how these characteristics would be helpful in a local church. I think about our own elder board even right now. Think about guys like Garrett Boone, who is one of our elders. And as I've been saying, man, this season's been a little bit tough, a little bit difficult for me. And Garrett not only cares for our church, but he cares for me as well. And literally just a couple of weeks ago, he was like, look, bro, it's been difficult. And we could come and we could kind of do all this, you know, like uh, uh, pray and, and worship. I just really feel like the Lord is telling me, you just need to have a good time tonight. And so we're going to come, and I'm going to grill you a steak, even though he was vegan like two months ago. He broke it for me. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. Speaking tongues on that mug. Right? And he said, look, we're going to grill a steak, and we're going to drink communion and do stuff like that. Right? And it was good. Right? And it nurtured my soul. He knew what my soul needed, and he responded in light of that. Or I think about Milana Brown, who leads our purity classes, or leads uh, part of the mom's Bible study, or disciples several different women, or does evangelism on UT's campus, or KC, or Marina, or I could go on and on and on, right? Let me say this. You have godly elders and elders' wives, family. And one of the problems in our culture is that it's hard for us to trust and to submit to leaders because of how many of them just utterly fail. And it's painful when they fail. Many of us, we've been a part of ungodly leadership and have church woundedness as a result. And I pray to Jesus that that would not happen on our board or in our church, that he would keep us within his grace. But can I encourage us in something here? Today, the problem isn't leadership. The problem is ungodly leadership. You see, healthy leadership is something that each of us actually needs because at times, 
Actually, scratch that. 99% of the time, we need spiritual leadership to guide us because we cannot do it ourselves. We need each other as we keep saying. Though America would love to lull us to sleep in thinking that we can do this by ourselves and that we are independent beings, we actually have been created by God to be very dependent and we need people who will help us see Jesus more clearly. I think about even this week, once again, as I've been struggling and just wrestling through this season, I just walked into the office and I looked at Anthony, our worship pastor, and I said, brother, I need a pastor in this season. Will you be my pastor? Will you shepherd me? Will you guard me? Will you guide me? I don't know if I'm fully seeing clearly all things. I need somebody to pastor me. And I trust Anthony, and I trust Judy, his wife, and that they would guide us and shepherd us. And I think about all the other men and women in my life, like Bob Christensen or Paul Carlson, who's been on the board for a long time, and on and on and on. We need other people to care for our souls. Because, y'all, we don't even know what we need half the time. We don't even know how to lead ourselves towards spiritual health and truth, right? In fact, as an easy example of that, uh, look at your face right now. Go ahead, look at your face, right? You can't do that, right? The thing that most defines and characterizes who you are, you can't even see unless you have an aid like a phone, which I saw a lot of y'all pulling out. Elders are aids for your soul. They are able to see things that you may not be able to see, and we actually should each be doing that with one another, for we often see what we need even before the individual sees what he or she needs. This is why it's important to have godly leadership, y'all. It's important it nurtures us. The problem isn't leadership and structure. The problem is poor leadership and selfish structure, The problem is when churches start trying to build their own kingdom and platform rather than God's kingdom and glory. And so Peter says, have leaders who perform these functions well, but they don't just do things well, but they also have this character that they model along with it. Paul lists out over 20 qualifications in his letters, but there's a couple that Peter focuses on that he thinks will help the church flourish. He says that they exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, and not domineering, but as examples, which I would say example is both a role and a character expression. I created a little table because there's a lot of words there, which hopefully helps us see it more clearly. The first one is that they are not under compulsion, right? Thinking that leading is how they gain godliness or because they feel like this makes them a good Christian, so therefore they will lead. That's not what they're doing. They want to lead. There's a willingness there. They have an affection and a heart for God's people, They're also not doing it for shameful gain, be it money or status or glory or fame or whatever gain might be coming by doing ministry, but they do it eagerly, is what Peter says. It's a very interesting thing we don't have time for today, but Peter, throughout the Greek in chapter 5, uses all of these words that are either only found here in the New Testament, and at times it's found nowhere else in the whole Greek language. And so it's like Peter is making up words here 
trying desperately to express the importance of these qualifications and characteristics of elders. For example, that word eagerly is found nowhere else in the New Testament. It means to have a ready mind. And so eagerly doesn't always mean that leaders are filled with positive emotions at all times, okay? At times, shepherding is really, really hard because sin sucks and sheep bite, and sometimes they will be stankin', unless you don't know yourself very well, right? And you're a sheep too, so you need to be shepherded, which is what I just said to a lot of people this week. I feel very sheep-like. I need a shepherd in this season, And so eagerly means to have a ready mind, a focused mind. When Jesus went to the cross, he isn't skipping and smiling, like winking at people, like, just carry my cross, brother, right? Like, that's not what he's doing here. He isn't like, oh, I'm so emotionally eager to do this. No, he does not diminish the pain of what it means to carry the cross, However, he does it willingly with an eager mind, a ready mind. We, each of us, can serve like that as well. Because keep it a G, sometimes you do not want to come and serve them bad behind kids who's screaming at you. And though Peter says, have a ready mind, understand what you're doing and see the greater significance behind the diaper change today and realize you may be setting them up to be missionaries one day if you would serve them faithfully. Have a ready mind is what he says. And then uh, leaders, elders, they don't domineer over people. A part of the reason that we don't like leadership is because of how we as Americans define it. Worldly leadership says, do what I tell you to do, a.k.a. domineering. Godly leadership is completely different, though. Godly leadership is taking your position, your status, your influence, and your power and laying them down, getting beneath somebody and lifting them up that they might get closer to the King of Kings. This is what God calls us to be. Fewer things frustrate me, y'all, than someone trying to assert their position over people. Jesus had all authority and yet got low, and yet we have no authority, yet we try to exalt ourselves high. Like the Tower of Babel all over again. But I'm staying on my notes right now because don't nobody want to catch these Christian cuss words. <laughs> right? Now listen, sometimes you do have to say, hey, do this. Right? Leaders say, hey, look, this is what we need to do. But that's done in humility, y'all. Peter is highlighting the character it takes to lead local churches through difficult seasons. We need these sorts of leaders. Good leadership, like good parenting or good management, et cetera, mimics Christ, and this helps us see examples of him and live more Christ-like as we imitate that on earth. Also, just a really brief aside real quick, okay? The New Testament always talks about elders or overseers in the plural, Okay, it's foolish to give one man authority with no accountability or oversight. He'll either be crushed by all of the responsibility or he'll abuse it. Okay, obviously there are times, right, like in a small church, for example, where this may not be fully possible, but we, family of God, are a team. Just because this is my gift does not make me more or less important than anybody else. We are a team advancing the kingdom of God together. And so to have no authority or oversight is foolish. Each of us needs a shepherd because each of us is prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Each of us are weak and wounded and weary. We need each other to care for each other, y'all. We need each other. 
And so we're a team up here, okay? The whole church is seeking not just to receive, but to give. So Peter then, after highlighting what leaders do, goes on to the next section. And leaders, then we respond in a certain way. And one of the responses is, is we follow these leaders. We see their life and we respect it and we listen to it, trusting that they are seeking Christ with us. And so we are subject to them. That's what that idea means, is following them in that sense. Don't get caught up on uh, American definitions, by the way. When the Bible uses the word things like leadership and subject, it's saying different things than what we say in our culture, okay? Now, notice, each of us, leaders included, are then to be humble towards one another. You see, humility is the key thing that Peter is after in the way that the church treats one another. So leaders are humble, others are humble, we are humble with one another. Notice how Peter is even showing examples of humble leadership, Do you realize in chapter 5, verse 1, he does not call himself an apostle over these elders, even though that's exactly what he is, but he calls himself a fellow elder. I love that, y'all, for more reasons than we have to unpack today, because he could have pulled rank on them, but instead he identifies with the other leaders in the church. Listen, get around people who don't try to pull rank or position over you. When they do that, they tend to intentionally position themselves underneath you to elevate you to who God is making you to be. It's a Christ-like, it's a beautiful thing, okay? Now, once again, I want to say this. There will be times where oversight and decision-making even is needed, and we are to be subject to that. I am not rejecting that. I submit to even our own elders. Even at times when I don't like the decision, I don't come up here like, y'all, never give us what will happen in the elder meeting this Friday. These mugs, right? Like, I don't do that, right? Like, I'm like, man, I trust these guys, right? Like, and listen, sometimes they're right, and sometimes my uh, feeling is right. The decision may not have been the best per se, yet I trust that God is trying to even use that to orchestrate this humility in me so that I might respond to him in a humble way as well. We need each other in this sense. Direction is important, okay? And I'm just saying, y'all, When you're around shepherds who care and who love really, really, really well, it nurtures your souls in ways that is desperately needed for you to endure this hostile world around you. Peter then concludes with how we respond to God and he to us and how we respond to Satan and he to us as well. So the second one is how we respond to Satan. I want to tackle that first. Uh, I'm going to say very plainly, some suffering is spiritual and it's from Satan, y'all. Okay? Some of it is because of this hostile world. Some of it is because of our broken and hostile flesh. Let's not get it twisted. But some of it is because we have a hostile enemy who hates you. In some places around the world, they tend to think too highly of Satan, like he has more power than he actually has. Like he's not on a leash from God himself, right? Even in America, we tend to do this at times. I remember being in a car with someone who we got a flat tire and they were like, Satan trying to attack us, boy. And I'm like, your tire nine years old. You haven't inflated it in seven years, right? Like, come on now. And it was not like we were off to an evangelistic conference. We were going to the post office, y'all, all right? That ain't Satan, that's negligence, okay? There's a big difference, all right? 
However, I will say this, for most of us, we forget that Satan exists, y'all, and he lulls us to sleep, and then he attacks us, and unfortunately, we often blame God for our problems of suffering rather than the spiritual evil that they may be. The demonic realm, we look to the Lion of Judah, God with frustration, not realizing that it's often this cowardly, earthly lion that is gnawing at our heel. You see, notice a few things about this cowardly lion named Satan. First of all, we have to be watchful, noticing spiritual evil. Why? Because the lion is prowling around, it says. Satan isn't just walking up to you with signs that says, I'm going to tempt you and try to destroy you today. Right? That is not what he is doing. He prowls like a lion, meaning he is hard to see, but he's watching us, so we need to be watchful too. I don't know much about lions, but what I do know is that even animals who are made to recognize their threats at times still can't hear them and fall victim. I remember watching a video one time where these people were on a safari and there was this grass that was right next to their car and the grass was barely even high and all of a sudden this lion just pounced at this car, all right? Now, it was a covered car, so praise God, but you know I got scared. I almost leaked on myself a little bit, right? And I literally thought, I ain't never doing that, y'all. I will never be on a safari. That's why you don't never see black people being eaten by bears. We don't do that. Am I capping? We don't do that, all right? So look, notice it says, right? Look, don't fall victim to Satan. Stay alert because this is what helps you stand firm in the faith. Listen, I don't want to joke. I want to take this part even seriously here. We need to see that Satan is a roaring lion as well. The idea of roaring lions in the ancient Near East would at times roar to scare and then scatter the sheep. Don't miss that. Lions would roar to scare and then scatter the sheep. If we are to hold fast to the gospel and stand firm until the end and persevere the trials of our life, then we have to hold fast to the Christian community who we are suffering with. You see, notice Peter says, you're not alone. Do you see that? There are other brothers who are around the world, other sisters who are around the world who are suffering with you as well. Look at me, friends. You are not alone. You have the church of God. Unless you decide to isolate, but I say this with deep affection, isolated sheep don't last very long in the wilderness. They need other sheep and they need other shepherds. We need each other. One of the things that Peter says earlier is that elders are to shepherd the flock of God among them. You see that word there? Shepherd the flock of God among you. I love this. Not who they wish were there, not who they want to be there or who they want to become, who God has given to them to shepherd. This is actually why we do covenant renewal as a church body because the elders want to know who we are shepherding. Who are we fasting for? Who are we praying for? Who is planning with us? At times, we, even as the people of God, not just the leaders, but us as the church of God as well, can look at who we don't have in the church or who's left the church up to this point. And then we can be tempted to not fight for the community that God has actually given right in front of us. Fight for each other, y'all. Fight for each other. Because the lion will roar to scatter to attack. 
But God has given us a body by which to operate together, not just to advance the kingdom of God, but to protect our very faith, y'all. We need each other in this. Y'all with me in that? Okay, so look at, stay after, right? Like, invite people to dinner, okay? Participate in community groups or bring people into your community groups. Take risks. Invite other people in. I know it's scary because we're broken and we can hurt each other, but I promise an individual will not hurt you as much as Satan will. And so to isolate and then to be left alone for Satan is more dangerous than to even be amongst broken people who may accidentally wound at times. We need each other in this, and it's worth it. And so we're in this locally, and brothers and sisters around the world are with us as well to hold fast to the gospel. Finally, we respond toward God with dependence, and he responds towards us with beauty and with grace. In verse 10, who is it that gives us everything that we need? It's God, right? It seems like an obvious question and an obvious answer. But so many of us try to restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish ourselves, not realizing that if we are even mildly successful at this, our success is temporary at best. God wants to build us up. Y'all tracking with that? So many of us are looking for and we are needing edification, but we're trying to do it ourselves. God is the one who wants to do this, family. And we actually need God to do it. And as he does this, as we humble ourselves under his hand, and as we uh, submit to his plan and his word, then we are strengthened or confirmed. We have what our souls need. Peter says that we are to cast our, uh, all of our anxieties, not to God or even at God, literally on God is what it says there. All culture is a heavily anxious culture. In fact, it's one of the main emotions that Americans experience. This is cast all of your anxieties on God. Now notice, it doesn't promise that he'll take away these concerns. Ooh, no amens there, huh? Mm -hmm. The suffering, it may be for your glory or for the edification of others. And so because of that, God will allow you to suffer. That's what the rest of 1 Peter was about, right? At times, right, we tend to take verses like this and then we cast our anxieties at God, thinking we casted them on God and they still exist. And so then we tend to think that God is not good. He doesn't promise removal. He does promise his affection towards you in the midst of suffering, though, you see, we often complain to God, but we don't throw our anxieties on to God. We share our anxieties on social media and to our friends quicker than we share it to our God who can actually confirm us. He cares for you. He cares for you. Like, like tell your soul's ears to listen right now. He cares for you. Do you see that sentence there? Written by the Holy Spirit of God, he cares for you. In fact, look at your neighbor and say, he cares for you. No, 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 no. Preach to your neighbor that he cares for you. Say that, y'all, right? Like, listen, I believe that that thinking goes back to not being drunk again. 
You see how Peter says, be sober-minded in the next section of that? You can be drunk on the concerns of life and become intoxicated with the problems of life rather than being liberated by the joys of our coming king. We have to fight to believe truth. Because if not, then we'll not be tempted to, or we'll be tempted to not stand firm in the faith. And so Peter concludes this letter by giving Christians what they need to endure. He says, look, follow those who are setting examples for you and resist the devil and trust the God who loves you and be committed to the church and see with your mind what God is doing. And I think in a very similar way, as we conclude this letter, I just want to give us really, 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 really briefly what I'm sensing about the well, even right now. Covenant members, we'll talk about this more directly at the business meeting, but even to the church at large, I said this last week, right? I have been complaining and bemoaning about how far I got to drive the church and meeting at 2 and 4 p.m., and I'm realizing I really believe that God is creating a grittiness, an intensity about those who are here, because if you hear at 2 and 4 p.m., you want to be here. That means if you look around you, these are likely people who are going to care for your soul. Yeah? They're likely going to love you. Look, when we plant churches, these are likely people who are going to go or step into the positions that were left vacant that they might serve and advance the kingdom of God as well. I believe that even in this season of exile and wilderness to an extent that God is trying to do something, even in this church family, to make us to be who he wants us to be as a church. Y'all, there aren't many churches in the city of Austin at large, particularly churches that have a demographic as young as we have. What I see that as is we got a lot of years to do some cool gospel work in the city. I believe there's a lot that God wants to do in and through this body. And so one of the things that we're even going to do literally beginning next week is I want to take an entire year to look at our identity as a church Who are we and where are we going? Every single sermon series, the men's and women's retreat, it's all going to be around our core convictions and our distinctives because a lot of us are new. We actually don't uh, understand who we are as a church. And a lot of us, we've been here for a while, but I think resharpening that is going to be really, really important. Now, it sounds like a whole year of like vision and mission. That's not what we're saying, all right? So don't be like, dang, it's going to be a boring year. That ain't what we're doing, all right? But on different sermon series, we're going to focus on different things. For example, our next four weeks, we're going to be looking at our distinctive of reaching the lost. Hey, what does that mean? When we say evangelism, what does that mean? Do we believe that we are here just for ourselves, that we can create a cool little holy huddle, or do we think that we're here to push back darkness on this earth? And so we want to look at how do we do that as a church, and how can we grow in that, and why do we believe that this is something God is calling us to? And so throughout this year, we want to look at that because I believe that God is trying to reestablish and strengthen and confirm us in the faith. Verse 10, that's true individually. I think it's true corporately as well. God wants to strengthen and confirm us. And so as Peter encourages the church on what they are to do, he ends in the same way throughout this letter that he has carried the whole time with his eyes on Jesus. And it's the same way the well started And it will be the same way the well ends, with our eyes on Jesus. You see, if you think about this passage, Jesus is the chief shepherd who will be appearing. He will be carrying glory and reward with him to those who love him. And we will reign with him forever. Family of God, you will reign with King Jesus forever. The chief shepherd will appear 
And as good as I hope our shepherds are in this church, none of us combined will be even remotely close to our true shepherd, Jesus. You see, Jesus is the true shepherd who is among us, is he not? Even though he was nothing like us. See, the difference is as an elder, I'm still a human. I am still a sheep like everybody else. Jesus is God. And yet here Jesus comes and he literally incarnates, comes to live amongst us that he might set an example for us that you would know how to live life and how to find your way towards God. Jesus is the true shepherd amongst us. He exercised oversight out of everyone in human history he could have demanded. He could have been the one that says, this is what you should do because I'm God. Instead, he is humble and he serves, not because he has to family, but he does it willingly, just like a good elder should. You see, Jesus did not come for shameful gain. There was nothing to gain in that sense. Yet Jesus became nothing and in a lot of senses lost everything so that you and I who had nothing might now have everything in our King Jesus. Jesus is good. Jesus could have been demanding and domineering, but he was our example in all things. In fact, in that second section family of God, you can be humble by looking to Christ your king, knowing that you will be exalted because Christ was humble and yet he is now exalted to the right hand of God. We can place our cares upon God because we know he loves us because he sent his one and only son to die for us, family. You can know that God loves you. And listen, man, you can cast your anxieties on him. You can cast all of your concerns on him because if Jesus can come and deal with sin and shame, then can't he deal with our difficulty and disappointment today? If he can deal from what separated us from God, can he not deal with what we are going through today? We can resist the enemy because Jesus was victorious. We can be anchored because we are rooted to something that is bigger than us. And even though all the demons of hell try to destroy him, they did not. So even though all the demons of hell may try to destroy you, you will not be destroyed because you are victors in Christ Jesus. This is good news, family of God. Jesus is the deliverer. He is the healer. He is the Messiah. He is the chief shepherd. Jesus loves you and he cares for you and he's cleansing you and he will return to take you home one day. Jesus is glorious. He is glorious. And so, well, family, let's build. (laughs) Like, let's build. Let's charge ahead, not blindly, Not foolishly, but because Jesus is worthy to be exalted. Let's build, y'all. Let's love each other. Let's make a home here for each other and a home for others who need a home. A, we got this. We got this, family of God. I love you guys. Let's pray. Shoot, Jesus, I'm ready to sing. <laughs> and so I, I ask very briefly, because I want to sing to you our God. The God who says, cast all of your anxieties upon me. I pray that even as we're singing that we would be able to do that. God, I pray for the men and women in this room who they may not know you yet as king. They may not have a home in a church body. There may be suffering. They don't understand why. I want you to know that your suffering may have landed you in this church today friend, so that you can hear about Jesus, hear about who he is, and find redemption. Listen, God loves you, and God wants to take you home to be with him one day. And he does this 
by dying on the cross for us. And as he dies, what happens is if we by faith say, Jesus, I trust you, I want to follow you, he takes away our sin and our shame and our guilt and things that would separate us from God and he gives us his righteousness, his perfection, meaning we can have confidence that we will one day stand before God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is true for each of us. If you are a child of God, you have been redeemed. And God will himself strengthen and restore and confirm and comfort you. It's a promise. And so Jesus, I pray God, for those of us who need that today. In fact, God, I want to pray what I felt led to pray this whole week, that even in these last two songs, that you would pour out healing over this church body. As I think about even where we are in the pandemic, and oh, it's starting again, and what's happening with our friendships, and what's going on here, we need you, Jesus. We need your healing. And so God, I pray right now for everybody who has called on your name, that even in these last two songs, that as we sing out to you, you would heal us. Would you heal us, Jesus? We pray these things in your beautiful name. Amen.